are back in the Football Shed, your weekly podcast that is for fans of football that live in the wrong time zone. My name's John Hewitt. Jeff King is here. Good day. And Roger Gibbs is here. Good evening. It's the first one of the season. It's proper shed. It's exciting. It is exciting. Um, Jeff, what have you bought for proper shed? What are you drinking? I'm drinking a, what's it called? A Kosciuszko? Kosciuszko. Is that like the mountain? Is that a mountain? It's a mountain in New South oh, Wales. Jeff, you yeah. are... Really showing your knowledge of Australia. How long have you lived in Australia? Uh, 12 years now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kosciuszko is a real is that thing. citizenship uh, quiz coming up? I'd like to think that the Immigration Department do not listen to this podcast, <laughs> but if they do, thank you for all of your hard work, you glowing humans representing our nation, proud kangaroos and shit. <laughs> is this a mountain? Anyway, it's a beer. It tastes good. Found it in the fridge. Good one. Um, it's an okay beer. Like that's quite good beer fridge. Mm. Uh, beer fridge, yeah, fridge beer. Jeff beer. Um, Rog, what are you on? You're on wine tonight. That's weird. Yeah, fine wine. Yeah, just a bit. You know, fine wine. A bit under the weather. No, it's definitely not fine wine. It's just from something that um, my wife orders online. It's, so it's, it's just cupboard cheap. wine. Cupboard wine. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm on the uh, good old Audi five dollar wine. Well, He's go. back. Yeah. He is back. The season yeah. started, so I yeah. thought I'd be, be consistent and it, have a. It the would Audi be wrong wine. not to. Exactly. Um, every week we do start with a question, but before we get onto the question, a wee bit of admin. If you want to get in contact, ask us a question or tell us that we're wrong about something or our facts are complete rubbish, which is often true. Um, you can find us on Facebook, just search Football Shed or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Um, also, don't forget to subscribe, um, leave us a review on Apple. And of course, if you want to tell your mates so more people can listen to us talking shit. Um, now, the question we're going to start with is about the first weekend in the Premier League, which we've just had. Good, I remember that. How many English players started in the Premier League this weekend? Oh. It is a record since... Uh, record low? No, no. Record high. Great. Record high. Oh, that's really... Because Villa are back. Yeah, Villa, Sheffield United, Sheffield United <laughs> and Norwich. Why are you laughing at that? They're all the attractive English players, are they? Big, fat-headed ones. True. Um, no, I um, I think that's great though. Yeah. I mean, even if it is just you know the result of Villa and Sheffield not being back in the Premier League, it's exciting. Sixty-four. Well, that's quite. I feel that's quite a lot. <laughs> uh, Fifty-five. Eighty-three. Wow! And amazing. Twenty-two of those were in the top six teams. So that that's, is an incredible yes. development, isn't yeah. it? Really, it's a huge. This the eighty three is the most since two thousand and ten. Um, so yeah, it's lot, most in a long that, time. Is the shift here purely that English players are actually getting better? Oh, I, I, I think Frank Lampard's now in charge of Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Chelsea have a transfer ban. Yeah. Well, no, but I want. Obviously, we know that a few years ago we were looking over the fence at Germany and you know and, and Spain to some extent seeing how well they were doing things and all their young players coming through and I think we realised all oh, that actually works quite well they win things and maybe we should be looking at our coaching structure and our you know youth structures and how we can get better continuity with the players coming through and maybe you know I look at um, last week or the week before uh, it was the um, German Cup obviously yeah. and Sancho just came out and straight away was starring was again amazing. Uh, and then you saw Rashford on the opening weekend of the season I'm like these guys are actually legitimate you know superstars or could could be anything especially when you look at Sancho and I'd, 
I feel there's more of them around. Yeah. So maybe things are getting better. It wasn't long ago that we were we were discussing, you know, Arsenal being the first Premier League side to not have a single Englishman either in their starting eleven or on their bench. Yeah. You know, that wasn't too long ago. And they started two 19-year-old English guys, Reese Nelson and Joe Willock. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so if Arsenal play an Englishman, then they've got to be better. Although, I mean... A few injuries well. at Arsenal. Are <laughs> yeah, and, and a few poor but, performances last year. I just think people have give, like have realised that young English players are good um, and you might as well give them an opportunity. Like, if people are bored of buying a 20 million guy from a Joe Linton, for example, and going... Well, what, what, 40 million. Yeah, John, he was 40 Joe million. Linton was 40 million. What extra are they adding over an English Exactly. Yeah. Why, why don't you give a 19-year-old a go and then actually when he plays, he gets better and better and... Gets in, does well with with your um, question and the answer to your question. Can you give us that in a percentage or not? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the question, but I don't have the percentage. Oh, I'd just so be interested to know, you know, because still consistently, when you look at well, you could work, you could work it Spain, out. Italy, four hundred and so twenty two players in each game, 10, 10, 10 games. Yeah, so two hundred and twenty players. And how many did you say? Eighty three. Yeah, so about thirty five percent, forty percent. Okay. Which is pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, I just... Because consistently, the other top leagues are much higher in terms of their percentages of homegrown. They also can't players. afford the level of import True. expense that they can in the Premier League. Um, but let's start on some uh, young English players doing badly and some doing well. Man United beat Chelsea 4-0. Oh, well, how uh, convenient starting with Man well, United. I thought it would be appropriate eh? whilst having my uh, Man United jumper on the back of my chair that we should start on Man United winning 4-0. I watched this game. In the right time zone? No, I was back in Australia, but I was jet-lagged, so I was awake. (laughs) So I watched the whole thing. Um, Man United were so lucky. Like, to win 4-0 in that game, they they didn't deserve to win 4-0. Chelsea were brilliant for the first half hour. Man United got a penalty out of nothing. Then were good, because they were like, ooh, suddenly we're in this. Um, then Chelsea came back into it and Man United just scored on the counter-attack. And then Chelsea's problem, I thought, was that they just lost their heads. They had a lot of young players and they seemed to lose their heads really quickly when something went wrong. And that was just showing a lack of experience, yeah. lack of kind of what to do in that position. So I can see Chelsea playing really well this year and winning some games, but I can see them getting tonked a few times. I'm, I'm so glad you said that, John, because I think you're spot on. There is no way that this was a 4-0 game of football. I think Chelsea were really, really good. It, it just wasn't 4-0. And, and this is the, um, you know, the old adage that results don't lie. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> in this instance, it, it, they do. Yeah. Because that wasn't 4-0. I know it was 4-0. I yeah. know. And at the end of the season, we're going to look back and we go, this is, this is the, the biggest home victory or worst away defeat that Chelsea have had in the last 20 years or whatever. Yeah. Like, there's all of these stats that, that kind of reinforce that this was a 4-0 victory. And I understand that four goals were scored by one yeah. team and no goals were scored by the other. So don't pull me up on that. But that's not true. That's not what really happened in that game. Chelsea were brilliant. I, in first games of the season are weird. Like Frank Lampard is just getting into it and working out what he's doing, working out what his players are doing. You can lose 4-0 and then go and do something really good. Man United lost in 95 or 6, whenever it was, when they you can't win anything with kids. They lost Aston Villa 3 or 4-1. First game of the season. And they're getting written off. And everyone's just yeah. like, oh, what are you doing playing all these kids? And now I'm not going to say that Chelsea are going to go and win the league with a bunch of kids. But it's the first game 
and Lampard's given them a go, they will learn so much so quickly through those games. Mm. Man United did do something as well. There was a well. bit of luck too as well. Like even oh. just the the fact that they, um, you know, hit the bar. Yeah, uh, Abraham hit the post. Abraham hit the post. Emerson the, hit the post. And the, when Emerson hit the post, it was like the corner of the post and the crossbar <laughs> oh, and yeah. somehow stayed out. I'm like, well, that is... Definitely yeah. a little bit unlucky. Yeah, it? so I thought Chelsea would definitely not 4 0 worse. Man United. And they though, were on top for the, like you would say. Oh, I would say for 70% of the game. Well, well just, just, I mean, just statistically, Chelsea had 54% possession against 46. They had 18 shots against United's 11. Seven on target against United's five. United scored four goals with five shots on target. And Chelsea played in a kind of childish, just let's attack and run around. This is fun. And Man United, everyone knows this year, are set up to play counter-attack. Like, Man United are going to struggle when they play against a Burnley or whatever, when they're defensive. Because Man United are just set up to wait, 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 ping the ball as fast as we can. It's basically long ball to the quick guys up front, and we'll get a goal. But they didn't even do it successfully. Look, okay, with the caveat that they scored out of it. But that, um, was it for their second goal, the the really quick counter, like you're describing, they got played up. The the final ball was too heavy, yeah, and, and it had to, had to be red, like yeah. do a little reverse run round to then cross it in. Like the counter attack was even executed yeah. poorly, and they still scored from but it. But I think I, in terms of looking at it from a positive from United's perspective, though, they they are set up to play like that, and Solskjaer has been clear that that's the style he wants to play. He's let Lukaku go because Lukaku doesn't fit with that. And he's effectively said, Martial and Rashford, you're my guys. You both need to be, you know, 20 goals a season. We, we don't need a... We've got Greenwood to come off the bench. Yeah. But I do think that the that style of play perhaps suits United. In the in Pogba, they've probably got one of the best passes in the league. Particularly, you can hit, you can hit that long pass over the top, um, you know, for those guys. So, I, I mean... I agree with you. I think Chelsea were un- unlucky in some ways. And like, it was great to see Mason Mount um, yeah, playing well. and coming up a league and, and looking comfortable. But I, you know, Solskjaer looks at that and goes, well, that's a plan well executed. Yeah, I, like, I think it was a plan well executed. And I think Harry Maguire was excellent. He was. He was really good. Yeah, Does when... he necessarily fit with the counter-attacking mould, though? Well, yeah, because he can head it so far. That no, it's just he's not exactly in. quick, is he? No, but he, no, is, he is a ball-playing centre-half. And no, he just has to win yeah. the ball and give it to someone in midfield, like Pogba, who can ping a ball. So that's fine. And you'll find that what's happening right now, so we are, I would say that, you know, the three of us don't just, like, camp outside Man United's training ground to work out their formation. We see what we see. <laughs> yeah. you, would you say that's a fair point? Yeah. So for the fact that we have recognised over the last six months' worth of Ollie's reign... That they are a counter-attacking side. They play these quick, long balls to try and, pen- you know, it's about their transition of play from defence to attack. The world has seen that, so there will be a point where the world reacts to that, and there will be teams that drop deeper during that transition. That is when Harry Maguire will come into his own because he will be able to actually walk out the extra 10, 20 yards with the ball under no pressure because the opposing team will be pulling back from Manchester United. So as soon as you know, every team has cottoned on to. I mean, Chelsea were young and inexperienced, yeah. probably couldn't execute that kind of game plan. 
But knowing what United are set up to do this year with Lukaku going, Rashford, Martial, you know what they're going to do. Yeah. And so when they when they when they stand off, Harry Maguire is going to get into the centre circle before he's got to deliver the ball, and he's the first defender that you've had in the last three years that has the confidence to do that. And even in pre-season, we saw Lindelof do it. Yeah. And that means that that's that's Plan B for them. Okay, okay well, if they hold off and we can't counterattack, then we will build from the back, but we won't pass it out from the back. We'll just walk forward. So yeah. I, I think that in November, December, we're going to see the best of Maguire because teams will be wising up to the way Mayo play. Yeah, I just I know like he for a debut he played really well. Wambasaka was brilliant. And the well. price tag ran their necks. You yeah. Know, you look at those two. There's been a lot of focus on those two players. But as soon as you suddenly start watching them play, you go, money doesn't matter. They've done well, we're winning four nil. I do think though that I just watched two teams that are gonna finish sixth and seventh. Yeah. I don't think I watched two teams that are gonna come first and second. I watched two upper mid table teams play okay and quite badly at the same time like yeah. there's a bit of class in those teams and there's also a bit of shit so, I, I agree yeah, with I agree. you that like we you could argue that I mean well, I'm sure we'll come on to West Ham and Norwich against Man City and Liverpool yeah. you could argue that West Ham and Norwich deserved better than what they got from those games but the yeah. difference is when Liverpool and Man City were when they had their chances they were clinical yeah. now when United had their chances it was chaotic but successful yeah if Man United were playing different. a Liverpool or even a Spurs in that scenario Spurs would have scored their two chances and they wouldn't have let them through in uh, many ways I, exactly I mean right. I, I, yeah there's nothing I saw in that game that makes me ch- necessarily change my opinion of where they're at as clubs this year I do think that there's enough um, clubs in the same boat that they might be scrapping for fourth but I think they're just as likely to finish eighth yeah exactly the the only other thing the thing that I most liked about this game was actually the last goal for United though in Daniel James Daniel James his reaction what a celebration I just like I I loved it it just made me smile and you know those are the things you love about football but and I think that is a good sign for where maybe it's just an individual, but I think that's a good sign where United are at as a club in terms of, you know, I don't necessarily think that Solskjaer is a great um, coach or manager, but he's obviously fostering something there in terms of the players playing for him and each other. And to see a player react like that when they score, and you, you, you felt like, you know, he's made a big move to a club, to a big club, mm. to the Premier League. And it all just came out in his reaction when he yeah, scored. The, like, the poor kid is his dad died. The, um, just after he signed for Man United. Just, yeah. just, before. just before. Yeah. So his dad didn't even know that he signed for Man United. So just, he right. said he's dreamt of this moment. And his, you yeah. know, he worked with his dad through his whole journey. So that that moment for him was the outpouring. Yeah. Yeah. pretty incredible. But then, but you do. There, there was obviously so much care and excitement about scoring. And then the times I've watched. Di Maria play for Man United or Falcao or Zlatan mm. and they score and they just go oh can I have more money please yeah. like yeah, there's, and there was genuine I think Solskjaer's been smart and buying kids who are hungry and are passionate and excited to be there you get much more out of them for doing that and you get the fans behind you I, I, yeah. I completely agree I read a quote this week from uh, Balotelli <laughs> so you know Mario Balotelli uh, who was saying well, why should I celebrate when I score it's my job <laughs> I mean, and I read that, I was like, you fucking passionless piece of yeah. soya bean. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I'm trying to swear less on this year's pod. I've gone for soya bean. Okay. Uh, I, I, just, I just think that you, you've taken yeah. the joy out of your life. It's yeah. your job, yes, but if you don't enjoy your job, quit. Yeah. And, you and don't... this 
kid for Man United, he enjoys his job. Yeah, and you don't build teams around that. You build teams around people who care about the club and mm. are in, on board and you get the fans on board and it makes a big difference. Um, but let's move on to uh, someone who might beat Man United to the league. Um, <laughs> Man City beat West Ham 5-0. Um, you guys watched that game? I've got to say, that was not a 5-0 either. No. It really wasn't. The so first... we were saying, it's funny, yeah. the, in the first half we were saying... I bet Man City go on and tonk them here, and it will just everyone will be talking about Man City. But in the first half, it was quite an even game. I flippantly sent you on WhatsApp um, because um, I can't remember why, but I just decided Man City are going to win five nil, and then they did. But the, the thing is, West Ham were really good. Who's their new centre forward? Haller. Haller. His link up play was oh, who put flop of the year? John. John, you moron. No. His link up play was exceptional. Now really, he'll be really judged good. on his goals, though. He but will. I, but... but I do. I agree with Jeff. Like in the, you know, there were five or six times he was involved in the first half, which isn't much. But you, you know, yeah. you're playing Man City, but everything he did, he did really well. Like yeah. it just, you know, he um, held the ball up, you know, brought other players into the game. He had a couple of nice touches to go past his man. Looks, he looks like he will cause plenty of defences problems. Mm. My only question is, he didn't really get any chances to show he can finish, and was that's it, what West Ham need. Probably because Wiltshire works at about four miles an hour. Wiltshire was. Oh, crap. that was my reason for Man City winning four 0 because Wiltshire started. He yeah. had a shocker. Yeah, I, I think I think I would drop him after that. To be honest, well, he got injured, didn't he? So, but here's the thing: what a surprise, surprise! surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> yeah, he got to oh, that go. is excellent. Like, what a weird week! Like, we we are going to talk about the first three results this week, and we're going to talk about how the losing teams actually were much better than the results represented. Yeah, and I think it's really refreshing that West Ham went for it against Man City, go. yeah, and Norwich went for it against Liverpool, and it's just I think. You know, we've talked about being bored of the Man City machine over and over and over. And I think, I just think also footballers are bored of it. Like, what's the point in losing 1-0 to Man City? You might as well lose 8-0 and have a go. But this, like, is, this is my, like, I left this weekend of Premier League being sick of football. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, week one. Already? Week one, sick of football. Wow. Okay, then we, I'm going to try and put that into context a little bit. Is that because Everton drew 0-0? Well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get onto that advert for the game. Do we minute. have to? <laughs> no. Um, because Banned. the... Banned. What, like, we're seeing... I love what you just said. You're absolutely right. You know, we are sick of the Man City machine. We're seeing people, like, teams come up against it. We're seeing Norwich do what they did against Liverpool, which was actually brilliant. Mm. If it wasn't for Liverpool's first half, you know, obviously, you, you can say that, but Norwich were brilliant in the second half. They didn't shut up shop. Now, I've seen reaction after this weekend. I've read articles, I've done my research, and I've heard people say things like, Norwich are going to need to learn. You know, If they don't shut up shop in the Premier League, then they're not going to last in this league very long. And I'm thinking, actually, shut fuck up. off. Yeah. It's you people who are ruining football. You're yeah. getting in the heads of these players. And you people are ex-players, because you're pundits, mm. and you have been taught how to play football by people who are dinosaur managers who were your managers and they're now 75 years old just like lapping up gravy for breakfast drinking pints of wine drinking pints of wine it's (laughs) these people that are ruining football and these people are having an effect on the people who are having an effect on the the rhetoric that surrounds the game and and I I heard a comment this week about Sheffield United saying Sheffield United are not going to be able to play the way they played in the championship in the Premier League because um, Billy Billy Sharp Billy Sharp's not going to be able to score is that his name Billy Sharp they go He's not, he scored a fucking goal this weekend. Yeah. Like you've got to just get a grip. But that Danny Mills came out and said that they were a um, 
they're a long ball team and it's not going to work. Oh, and he's like, well, you've never watched them then, have yeah, you? Clearly, but rather than just admit that he didn't watch much of them in the championship, yeah. he just went with, oh, they're a championship team, they're Sheffield United, they're not glamorous, must be long ball. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, because probably the last time he cared or watched Sheffield United was the last yeah, time they were in the Premier League, yeah. which was which was when, <laughs> who was their manager? That um, oh, It was Warnock, wasn't was it? Neil Warnock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, the one who whinged on the way down. But then the three promoted teams, so Sheffield United, Villa and Norwich, all got up because they played good football. So it makes sense that you carry on doing what you did last year and try and do it better in the Premier League. There's no point suddenly going, oh, we played really good football in the Championship, let's now just defend and not bother with this, like, oh, what we're good at and making the most of what we have. Let's try and just defend and survive. Why? Well, yeah. I think some of that fear factor has gone a bit, as we've talked about, because there are a lot of clubs in the Premier League that have been so obsessed with survival for a long time that they have stagnated a bit. So I think there is a little bit less of that fear factor with teams coming up. But the Championship is a very good standard league now. But you're it's talking about Nor- I think Daniel Fark will continue to have Norwich playing football, even if they're you know eight points adrift after 10 games because that's because I'll keep doing it then I I heard another I've heard a bunch of things this week that made me just sick of it I'm like I feel like I got smarter over the summer Mm. not because I'm very smart but because I didn't have to listen to these people give me their opinions on things that they're unwilling to to waver on and you read a Jonathan Wilson book and I read a Jonathan Wilson book (laughs) (laughs) I feel a bit better about myself but I, I feel like it's suddenly immersing myself in punditry again I'm feeling like you people are stuck in the Stone Age, and the, and this is this is the absolute problem. Um, it is really painful to listen to, though, when you get a suit like after the first week, and you get Chris Sutton on BBC and just goes, "Oh, they've got to learn how to defend." You're like, "We just roll a, out the same stereotypes." Yeah, yeah. I heard a yeah. comment this week saying, "Um." Uh, uh, Norwich are going to have to learn that you have to be clinical in the Premier League or else they're going to really struggle. I thought, are you? what is that? Yeah. What are you talking about? They have to learn that they have to be clinical. What do you think they try and do all week? Against the European champions. Norwich in- might need 10 shots to get three in. Yeah. So you're telling them that actually what they need to work on is just needing the three to get three in, but be more clinical. Piss off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then you mock them for, for trying to shoot 10 times. Yeah. Like, they know mm-hmm. what their limitations are. And they know what they're doing. And, and then you say, oh, they, they need to shut up shop. And, and then uh, it drives Norwich, me mental. Norwich had more shots than any other away team in the whole of last season at Anfield this game. There like, you go. That is incredible. That's and how brilliant. many teams went to Anfield and won last year? None. There you go. So, like... You've got to give it a go. Well, and I think that, there's a never... lot in there, and they were not disgraced in that no. game. Like, Liverpool had a 30 minute spell, but it, yeah. it was. But of course, Liverpool, because Liverpool had the same 30 minute spell that they've been having every other home game for the last year. That first 30 minutes, they just push and push and push. That and was a mid sentence spell. <laughs> I know, and I kept going. I kept going. And, and that's, a strong that's what Liverpool do, and I get it. And I get that. I don't care whether you're a newly promoted side or not. I get that it is hard to weather that 30-minute storm at Anfield. And mm. if you manage to do it, you might still be in the game and then you're good to go. We've um, shifted to Liverpool here. Can I go back to Man City just quickly? Because yeah, there are some on. things I want to mention on Man City. So yeah, your, no, no, go your rant is transcending games. Um, yeah. But it's important. But in the Man City game, there are a couple of things that I found interesting in terms of the City machine. Um, and it is a bloody machine, but it does yeah. function very well. And it... I mean, you must admit, some of Man City's football is very exciting to watch. Oh, like when it yeah. When it goes right and those crisp so good. passes. And 
I mean, I I really, really enjoyed seeing De Bruyne back. Looks sharp. I think we've talked about it before. I think more than anyone else in the Premier League, he has that ability to go forward straight away. Always looks forward. And I don't, I was trying to think, is there another player that has the passing ability of De Bruyne with both feet that also can run with the ball so well in terms of that sort of driving run? It was, there was, his name was Yaya Toure and he played for Manchester City. Yeah. But then also De Bruyne started as a winger because like he yeah. was known as a wide like forward. When he came to Chelsea yeah. from um, and, um Pep put him in the middle of the park and it actually makes a lot of sense because he's doing the same thing as a winger does which is take on the fullback but he's just doing it in the middle of the park and then crossing the ball but rather than crossing it at an angle just crossing it forwards yeah. and it it just makes a lot of sense But I, so I thought it was great to see him back I thought Rodri just slotted straight in oh. Oh, oh, look, look. point on Rodri yeah. who heard of Rodri before six weeks ago when like yeah, Man City really. I like never and how do Man City find these players that are worth 60 mil that they pay for that no one else like in any rumour mill no one oh Man United are trying to buy him or Liverpool try, no one else is bothered with this guy it's not like Fernandez from Lisbon or whatever yeah yeah. Like, yeah it's just oh no Man City want this guy oh he happens to be the best defensive midfielder in the world that no one's ever heard of like <laughs> how does that happen probably because they spend more on their scouting network <laughs> I hope there's like a hundred people at home listening to this going John how could you have not heard of Rodri like he was the yeah. best in but it's I mean because you know Fernandinho didn't play and you know what Man City didn't look like they missed him and last season when Fernandinho didn't play that was a real question mark on them but the other thing with their in terms of the machine specifically that I was interested in West Ham were very much trying to press in this game and they'd shifted to a bit more of a high press but all the Man City players including the goalkeeper are so comfortable on the ball that if you are going to press against Man City you have to get it so right to the point I think the only teams that can really do it in the Premier League are probably Liverpool and maybe Spurs Yeah, but they you know, there were a few points where Edison was literally going round someone on in the six yard box, but completely in it comfortable, yeah. and would then pass the ball across. And you know that at some point, Man City will find the space because West Ham have got sucked in and sucked in and sucked in, and then suddenly there's a release ball, and you're like, "Oh, how have they got so much space?" And it's because they just it is so hard to press when a team. Is, passes the ball so well and it just happened time and again and I, I almost I felt sorry for West Ham because I was like, you're actually doing this press but quite well I was going to say yeah. on, the, on the flip side I was so impressed with West Ham's press yeah because because yeah. it's very rare you see traps that are set the way that they did it and and playing any against you're right any other team they would have been far more successful at uh, turning the ball over in areas that would cause Man City danger and yeah. they actually did successfully did a few times, a few times. Yeah. they just weren't clinical enough to, to finish him off but there were a few points where they really did they, ca- they caught a fullback they caught a centre back but when they didn't catch it the, the space they left behind him is the reason why De Bruyne got to be able to you know, walk 20 yards and, and thread it through to and Sterling Sterling just Sterling looked great yeah. hungry so quick yeah. and his I, I mean, finishing we, was brilliant we criticised him about it but his little lobbed finish was brilliant I, yeah just the you know he just didn't panic did he no. it, it used to always be Sterling gets the ball in the box he's going to shoot oh no panic bad decision he just didn't panic in any situation he was just like no nah, I've got this you're, but, you're putting him out there to score you know crazy amounts of goals this year 40. I could see it happening yeah. Yeah. but talking of um, so West Ham did okay against um, Man City and their press was good Brighton this week did very well and won 
with uh, the magician Graham Potter as manager. <laughs> but they play each other next week. And I think that's what's interesting about the start of the season because you see Chelsea actually play okay but then get a rubbish result. I'm intrigued to see how Brighton and West Ham go against each other next week because Brighton obviously got an incredible result and West Ham, in theory, played quite well. So you'd actually, by the end of that game, I think you'll have a real understanding of who was actually good or are Watford absolute dog turd and that's why Brighton won 3-0. Right? See, I think the, the Brighton result, it's brilliant. You know, I sat through last week's shed talking about Graham Potter and how he's <coughs> too good. We're not going to be patient enough. But this kind of, um, yes, John is pointing at Potter losing the sack race in my, my predictions. But And this and is the Javier thing. Gracia. But that kind of start means that I'm completely wrong. Because when I, I said the Premier League would lose patience with him before he would have a chance to affect that side because he had so long to go. That's right. But actually what he's done, I've not seen... That was, that's Brighton's record away win in the Premier League. They matched he, their, their record. He didn't play... He didn't start with any players that he'd signed. So he gave everyone that was already there a chance to go, prove to me that you deserve to be in and this. You'd argue that they were the most dominant side in this week's Premier League fixtures. And they... Um, it started with Glenn Murray up front and then he bought on... When they were 1-0 up... In the second half, he brought on two strikers, which Adoni or whatever. Adoni and Morpai, who's the Brentford guy. Morpai's going to be brilliant. Like he scored a lot of goals at Brentford, and I saw a couple of games of him playing. In he was brilliant last year. Yeah, he definitely was. um, You know, one of the top strikers in the league. And for Adoni to score, um, it means that suddenly this guy that they bought for an eighteen million last year, who was crap, has suddenly got on the score sheet already. So suddenly you're going. Oh, the two new strikers are scoring, and we've still got Glenn Murray. We've got loads of goal scoring opportunities. I, I worry about a new manager replacing a striker for a striker when they're winning a game of. I don't want to sound. I don't want to <laughs> like sound like a uh, seventy-year-old gravy glugging <laughs> gold watch wearing dickhead. But um, I worry about that because there is a certain amount of pragmatism you do need in a thirty-eight game season, and there is a certain naivety to to doing that. And, and I know because the last decade I've lived through two of them. And that's Roberto Martinez mm-hmm. and the first six months of Marco Silva, where when you're too good fun though. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when when you're two nil up and you take a striker off for a striker, I love it. It's great, but it is slightly naive, and you do see managers grow out of that. Yeah, I do, but I just think if you've got the momentum and it's going with you, and you suddenly what he's got now is he's got two score strikers scoring and confident mm. both going pick me next week pick but when, me it, when next it works week. it's brilliant and uh, but, but when it goes south you're you're left wondering whether you made the right choice yeah true but i i reckon he's going to do all right um moving off brighton spurs managed to get a win um yeah just just aston villa again promoted team aston villa were really good john mcginn looked really good he, had, he was great in the championship last year as well. Yeah. Um, Harry Kane scored for the first time in August in like three years or whatever. So you remember then that was a thing that no one... Yeah, he yeah, yeah. never turned up in August. Yeah. Um, but I think Spurs played badly but got a win. And so that's why I still think they're going to win the league. Well, the difference was Ericsson, wasn't it, in that game? They played badly and then Ericsson came on and suddenly Harry Kane found himself in the football. Yep. And one, and, why, I mean, one of my concerns with Spurs is Ericsson could obviously still go. And I don't think that Daniel Levy would necessarily be that upset if he did go because he's such a pragmatist and he realised that he'll want money for Ericsson, um, particularly given his age. So I think he might go to, to Europe. And, and um, I think Spurs signed quite well in the window. But 
they haven't really got a light for light replacement with Ericsson. Lo Celso, the guy they bought from Betis, is meant to be a similar player. He scored 16 goals last year, so he's more of a goal scoring midfielder. Does he have? I don't think he has the same creativity though, no. and I think that's what they really missed with Ericsson, particularly with. Um, uh, Deli Ali being injured for yeah. a while as well, and I think that's why Spurs were in for people like Dybala and Coutinho, yeah. the kind of the person that sits in that number ten role that just makes something the, happen, the pre-assist player. Yeah, yeah. But is it isn't it interesting? We can add Spurs to the list of of teams that won with a convincing scoreline and, and certainly didn't win with a convincing performance. Yeah, but it's a bit of. I mean, again, it's just that quality. I mean, I, I from all three of those sides in terms of. Man United, Liverpool and Spurs, I saw nothing that made me change my opinion of them. I said that with United and Chelsea, and I say it with those three. I think they have the most quality in their squad, that when they play well, they will play really well and win well. But even when they're not, they have enough there to be able to grind out those results. And I actually think it's quite a good sign that Spurs were able to do that in week one. I think if, you know we could have seen Spurs of a few years ago not be able to do that. Yeah. And there was no panic. They still just kept playing. They were able to bring a player of Ericsson's calibre off the bench, which I think also is, you know, that's big for Spurs. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, I think they take a lot from that. And I think, we like we've said that Man United, Man City, Liverpool have won, maybe not been brilliant or played against teams that played well against them, Spurs as well. And there's a lot of talk at the start of the season about who can break into the top six, top four. Can it be a Leicester? Can it be a Wolves? Can it be an Everton? None of them scored a goal. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I it, it was a big highlight for me that was just like, we, we all thought, and I've put Leicester to come fourth. Like, these are the teams that are men to bomb on and do something special. First week of the season, no one scored a goal. So we obviously, as you rightly say in your intro, John, we record this shed in Australia, mm-hmm. where the Everton-Crystal Palace game kicked off at midnight. Yes. So I stayed up until two in the morning watching that <laughs> fucking piece of crap, didn't I? And, um, and, and I've got to say that we watch... When you watch a, <laughs> when you watch a game like Manchester United-Chelsea and it gets billed, it's at Old Trafford, it's under, you know... It looks amazing and it's the Premier League and globally this is, well, I think it's 197 markets the Premier League is, is broadcast into. These are amazing things, what an amazing game. And then away at Selhurst Park in the wind. The wind was oh, the wind, oh, was, the wind really... was a factor. The wind was definitely <laughs> the a wind was so yeah. bad that the cameraman couldn't zoom <laughs> without stuttering. So you're like, it's it's like you're moving your head back and forwards to the to the to the TV. It was such a horrible game of football, and what a way to start the season. And not only that, but it was the feature game because the rest of the three o'clock kickoffs on the Saturday were pretty on paper woeful. Yeah. Actually, I wish I'd watched them. It was horrible. It's nice to be reminded, you know, Everton. They, 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 they fill you with this kind of little bit of expectation all summer. No, I don't. And no, 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 that doesn't happen to anyone else. No, 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 no. You all called them the best of the rest and all of this stuff. You, and no. you, you literally no, just did. No, John's Leicester. got Leicester to finish fourth. You, you, okay, well, I understand, I understand that, John. But deep down, you love Everton. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, a little bit of hope. Great, great signings. You know, a bit of money, new stadium. Bit of hope. You start the season and you watch that dirge. Uh, None okay. of your new signings played, right. to be fair, like, or started the game. I, I, I do think the wind was actually a factor. Like It was ridiculous. Did you see was, that when the, keep, the Crystal Palace keeper was trying to take a goal kick at one point? And it just kept blowing Five away. Five times he tried to put the ball down and it kept blowing back yeah. towards the goal. It that does great. have an effect. Also, Palace 
are set up to just defend. Be yeah. grim. And you could tell Roy in his interview afterwards was quite happy. He was like, oh, yeah, it's good to get a point on the board. And Roy, oh, yeah, this is all right. And the most exciting thing was how much Roy's hair flapped in the wind. Yeah. Like, it was all over the place. Um, yeah, that was turgid. Um, horrible. Uh, I guess, in a way, clean sheet is okay. Yeah, that'll do. Um, speaking of um, just judging the appearance of humans, yeah. uh, who's the Norwich manager? Daniel oh, Farker. Daniel Farker. I can't cope with him. Oh, really? He looks like a wrestler. No, he looks like a deflated whoopee cushion <laughs> no, who's, who's <laughs> sat on a beach for too long. I just, I'm not sure I can do 38 no, games watching that bloke. Oh, no, he's awesome. He's I'm, a bit like a overweight Hulk Hogan. Oh, he's just, it's just so flappy and and <laughs> strangely coloured. And if if he actually has some kind of disability, I'm going to apologise. But just on, just on hey, uneducated just appearance, I'm like, oh dear, oh dear, he's liked the sunbed since he was six, I reckon. Yeah. Um, um, let's <laughs> move on to, we're going to move on to VAR, Rog. No Liverpool? Or will we have we've, Liverpool? We've gone past way sick past of, Sick of them. Okay. They're out. Um, but we're going to talk VAR. Yeah. Um, now... I'm going to preface this chat about VAR because we were hesitant to talk about VAR and then I've already got annoyed with people on podcasts going, oh, we don't really want to talk about it, but we're going to talk about VAR. So let's right now say for the season, VAR is going to be a subject. We're going to talk about it. Let's not preface every conversation about VAR by, oh no, we have to do the VAR chat. It's annoying. We're going to have to talk about it. So let's not it's part of the game. Exactly. But so, you, but I can also see you don't really want it to be because it's linked to... I think the best referees in the world are the referees where we don't really notice the referee and you're like, that was the best game of football ever. Yeah. And so I understand why there's all well, this chat about VAR because I don't... You know, I it's one of my immediate things I dislike about mm. it is because there is all this talk about yeah. it. I, I, I'm going to just jump on that straight away. I would say that the best VAR decisions of the weekend were Arsenal Newcastle Sheffield United Bournemouth uh, Everton Crystal Palace because just like the best refereeing performance you didn't know it happened yeah. they reviewed everything everything was right and everyone can just get on with their lives Yeah, I think the big contentious one is the Leicester nil Wolves nil game where the Wolves scored was it Wolves scored a goal? yeah yes. Wolves scored yeah. then, then Danocker yeah, he scored from a corner and um, Bolly, the centre-back, has gone up for a header and it's come off his arm. So it's like it, with absolutely zero intention. It's come off his arm and gone down to Dendonka, who's put it in the net and it's been ruled out by VAR. Don't blame VAR. They're the rules no, of football. That, yeah, I, that's, now that, my, that's the new rule. And so this is... I had a long conversation with Jeff and we'll get on to the Man City one in a minute. In, you nearly in, came to blows, Rog. In, in game. Mm. It was very... We all know my attitude <laughs> yeah. to VAR, but I am also very aware that I do not want... I mean, I'm getting quite old now, but <laughs> I do not want to be one of these people that just goes, it's shit, I hate it, <laughs> without actually trying to understand it yeah. and recognising it's part of the game. Because yeah. that just makes me an idiot. And yeah. so I, I'm trying to... Get it's here. Yeah. So we, I've got to... And, and I, I actually... Initially, my reaction to the Wolves' goal was anger. I was like, "This is crap!" Like, that's got to be. But then I'm like, "No, hold on." And I thought about it, and I'm like, "Actually, my issue here, and it's the same with the Sterling one when we get to it. My issue is not actually necessarily with VAR specifically. Mm. In this case, it's with the offside rule. Yeah. And the fact that VAR just now allows us to enforce the rules to a different level of accuracy to the point where the rules of the game may actually be different. And one of my issues is that 
they haven't reviewed all the rules of the game in the context of VAR. Now, I think they desperately need to do that. But I don't think they can until we've had like a whole year or two of a trial. Until VAR has content. Yeah, because you, we don't know, we literally don't know what's going to happen this year. So no one would have predicted that, that the, penalty, uh, the goal that Wolves scored was going to be disallowed because it came off his arm near the top of his shoulder. Like we didn't see that happening, but now we know that's going to happen, and we're going to see all these instances by the end of the season. We'll be able to look at it and go, you know what, this rule's ridiculous. But we what, we, saw, what we that... saw that happen in the World Cup in real time. The group stage was different to the and knockout stage, better. and it got yeah. much better. It will happen in the Premier League. But we did the thing with that handball is the new interpretation of the handball rule, which, not VAR, not VAR. It's the new interpretation of the handball rule, which I hate. So my initial anger was VAR, and yeah. then I was like, no, hold on, I'm wrong here. It's handball. Yeah. Now my issue with this rule is that they've removed intentional. Yes. from the interpretation of handball. But what they have done, they've essentially said that any handball, deliberate or not, so the way they're interpreting it now, generally, in general play, is if um, a, if the arms are at an unnatural angle and they make the body bigger, that's handball. But they will take into account if there's a deflection or a player doesn't have time to react or what have you. So, you know, that, that maybe that's okay. Where I have a real issue with this is they change the rule specifically where it may end up in a goal-scoring opportunity and a goal. And they actually say, we'll, we'll forget about all those other things that come into it. When if, it's an assist or a when goal. When it's an assist or, or a goal, goal or yeah. a goal-scoring chance, then it's just the fact that it hits the arm. Mm. Now, I think that is absolute crap because you cannot have a different rule because of the outcome. So one of the things I am passionate about in AFL, you know, in Australian terms, that drives me mental is when they are trying to decide on if a player is suspended or not for a, a, a foul or a, or a tackle, they take into account the effect of the tackle. So whether so it injured a player, whether or it injured yeah. a player or not. So if the player got Which concussed, I've got a problem with that too. You're right. Yeah. You know, if if it shouldn't matter, a foul's you, a foul. You and John might both tackle me and do have exactly the same movement, but when one of you does it, um, I get concussed, and when the other one of you does it, just by coincidence, I don't. But the motion is exactly the same. Now, to me, if you're trying to protect players in that instance, it should be about the action. The action should be yes, okay, and okay. you should penalise both the same. And in this case, with the handball. I just don't, it doesn't sit right with me that you change it just because it's in a different part of the pitch. So I listened to a 45-minute a, a interview with the head of VAR in, in England. He's the person. Mr. VAR? Mr. No, he's, he's an ex-referee. What's his name? Um, Mrs. VAR. Vinny. Uh, he's an ex-referee. He's a professional Graham referee. Paul? Maybe. No, he's the international ref. This is the one for, for the England Premier League. Whatever. Uh, I know. It's, anyway. Uh, it's got the same haircut as so, you. So what he's David, saying, El David Ellery? What he's saying <laughs> is, is the same haircut as John. What, did a ball bloke. <laughs> <laughs> could be anyone. It could be anyone over the age of 95. If anyone's wondering, <laughs> yeah. John has uh, no hair. So... <laughs> What he, what he was saying is is that all VAR is doing that. The basic principle is it's confirming or deny or or challenging what the referee already thinks. Mm. So he's saying that there can be <coughs> two instances that happen at the same time. Because the VAR suite is at St. George's Park. So they watch all these games at once. They can have an instant at uh, Upton Park 
and it, that's not up to the park anymore, into, into the, <laughs> the Olympic Stadium, and into the Old Trafford that would be exactly the same. Yeah. All they would do is they would talk to the referee and they say, what did you see? The referee would tell them what they see. Go, I saw him go in with a high boot. He's had three already. I think it's a sending off. You could have exactly the same incident in two different stadiums and the referee could make a different call and that would all be good with VAR because all VAR does is confirm whether the referee is right in what he thought he saw. And, and if it, only if it's a um, clear and obvious yeah. error. No, so no, 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 cases, only, yeah, only if what he thought he saw isn't what actually happened. Mm. Now, so I heard this and I thought, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. It is in the lap of the referee. It's not governing a decision. The referee makes a decision. All it does is say, well, actually, it wasn't a high foot. You probably missed all that. Do you want to go have a look on the screen and see if you want to stick with your decision or not? Then the comment I heard, and this is what fucking filled me with rage, was, again, an old gravy slugging Scottish <laughs> bloke. <laughs> I'm trying my best this season. Trying the best, John. <laughs> Said, oh, you know, what we're missing. Are there any ex-players in there? Are there any um, ex-pros in there to give you your uh, common sense opinion? I thought, are you kidding me? A common sense opinion? You want to go back to mob rule? Like, you want to... Common sense is the slowest form like you want to replace a career referee's educated opinion with that of an uneducated like mm. like an uneducated mass yeah. judgment like common sense says so ashley young dives right mm. common sense was, says when he goes down it's probably a dive yeah so if you have an old educated pro in there in the vr suite oh it's ashley young it's probably a dive that's what common sense is they are not the rules common sense killed jesus <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Common sense fucking put Merlin in a in a, in a tower in the Tower of London. Common sense is Wait, as Merlin far as in the tower you know, that you're combining. Pick, pick a wizard. Pick yeah, any wizard. Right, Jesus, okay. Merlin, whatever you like. <laughs> like who, who are those people? Mystic Meg. I don't give a shit. Pick a wizard. <laughs> Common sense says we should hang him like a witch. Common sense is the slowest form of progress. It is a Galapagos turtle that has never fallen in love and will never have babies and eventually they will all die because common sense is common stupid. And and if we are going to be putting ourselves in a position where we have rules and we have legislation and we have technology that helps us advance our game and still in the face of this we have, well maybe we should put some mind up there with common sense. Piss off. I watched um, the Optus have a new weekend review show. So it's a new Premier League show. About VAR, I watched this too. No, well, and it's not just about VAR, but they, they review all the games and then they talk about it. But they had a referee on there. They had Chris Foy on it, who's an ex-referee. I don't know his current referee. And they asked him about the VAR things. Like, what's this? Why has this happened? And it was really good. It was makes you go, okay, this is the way they're thinking. There was one tackle that I thought was really interesting was that... Um, I can't remember what game it is or who tackled it, but basically their foot went over the ball and into the like calf of the other player. So it looks like it's a high tackle. And the referee didn't um, gave a free kick and gave it as a yellow card, and it went to VAR as a red card check. And they asked the referee, like, what happened? What? And he's like, I saw this. Um, I don't think it was malicious. <coughs> and he's come in and his foot's gone over the ball, but there's been no intent in it. If you look at the replay in slow-mo, it's gross. You kind of just go, oh, yeah, that probably should be a red card. 
But VAR agreed with the referee because of what he saw in the scenario. And they, right. yeah. they don't think he got it massively wrong. They went, no, you know what? We can see how you've seen that in this scenario. And slow-mo makes it worse. So we're going to go with what you this, said. This is the point. It's the referee's judgment call. All VAR will do in those, in those instances where it's an opinion is either confirm or deny that the referee saw what he saw. And if they say, yes, you saw what you saw, then it's up to the referee to make a choice. No, it's I, the only, the choices of, sorry, love my last little bit on this, is when it's a binary decision, it, there should be no conflict whatsoever. When it is offside or not offside, when it is encroaching on a penalty, I'm going to keep burping as talk, when it's encroaching on a penalty or not, when it is a binary decision, VAR is no different to Hawkeye in tennis or, or a review in cricket. It is just binary. It is what it is. And, that is my issue. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you two fought on Saturday. So I actually think that VAR in general was applied very well in the Premier League. And I, I said before, you know, I said on last week's mm. shed that I thought that the Premier League would get it right. Yeah. It, it, you know, or, or it will work it out. They will work it out quite quickly because of how much focus is on the Premier League. So nationalistic. And I know it is. And I feel, but, but Daily I telegraph reading. They just <laughs> Margaret Thatcher loving close the coal mines it, piece of canary. It has to work better um, because there's so much there's so much focus on it, and it was a, such a disaster at the Women's World Cup. So I, I had a feeling that you Sexist. know, that, and I like <laughs> I like the way it was applied generally when there was some debate about the decisions, and generally they left it with the referee. Now, the biggest issue I have with VAR is as I said they haven't re-looked at the rules specifically with it and you're saying maybe they need time I had a massive issue with the um, Gabriel Jesus offside goal for Manchester City where Sterling's armpit was offside now this was the big result of the weekend now as Jeff said with offside there so VAR is only supposed to come in when there's uh, some uh, shades of grey or you know there may have been a clear clear and obvious error made apart from certain decisions that are an offside is one of those that's binary when, when it is either offside or it's not mm. so the, it's not refereed what did you think about this did you see it it's just VAR well it's, it's they're saying it's the same as the goal line yeah you know they are just saying it's three, yes. and so I actually got a bit annoyed because a lot of the rants on Twitter and stuff afterwards were about it should only be checking if it's clear and obvious and this isn't clear and obvious and that was some of the immediate stuff that was in my mind but I actually stepped back and I went well no actually the way that offside is applied it's either offside or it's not yeah my issue with the sterling offside is that they now have a system they call it 3d camera mm. so they can look at it in you know the 3d, 3D plane they call it <laughs> so, 3d camera and they can have a blow my mind right they have a line what does it on do? the, tell me what it does they have a line on the page <laughs> for you know both um the defender and the attacker in yeah. the instance that's deciding whether or not it's offside now my massive issue with this decision is that we are talking here absolute millimeters now i don't actually think that the var system that is in place at the moment can make an offside decision to that level of accuracy and uh, just hold on jeff (laughs) 
just you're about to yeah. jump in there, but let me finish yeah. because you are deciding. So a player is offside if any part of their body that can play the ball, as you said earlier, yeah. is in advance of the last defender or second last, and um, yeah. in, if the keeper's up uh, when the ball's played. So it has to decide where the player is in relation to the other player, and it has to decide the exact moment when the ball is kicked. Yeah. So the exact contact with the ball. And it also has to decide things like if we're going with the shoulder being the furthest part forward of the ball, you have to draw the line at the exact same part on the shoulder. Now, when we are talking about a case of millimetres, I don't think, and nobody has really come out and said this, I don't actually believe that VAR has that level of accuracy and so I do not think that in that instance they should be going to the referee and saying we think you should cancel this goal because it's offside okay. and this is the whole it because it's the, and it's this whole black box thing the mm. black box making a decision I only think we should be doing that if it's very clear to a level of accuracy that we're all happy with that it's offside so many problems with this Rog the Firstly, you only had like a camera phone in 2016, so you are you are not primed to judge their their. Well, I'm not just going to trust someone. They haven't even come like, out and clarified, Jeff, that they can they can do it to that I level of accuracy. My, my, I'm sorry about the camera phone comment. I don't mean to. to no, but they haven't. There's I, been I mean, no clarification on what is the level of accuracy of VAR, and, and we, when we're talking about millimeters. You need that but my, level my of clarity. But my point is that who is in the best position to judge their level of accuracy? Those who see it on the TV or those who put together the system? Make they, it transparent then. That's all I'm saying. If you are going to do this, it has to be 100% transparent. But they showed it on the telly. That's but, not transparency, Jeff. To, to Roger's point, I think the thing is, I kick a ball here, over here. Now, one hundredth of a second later, I've still kicked the ball. But the two people that are running at 30 miles an hour in opposite directions will have moved five millimetres yeah. or three millimetres. So, so, so if you're measuring over there by three millimetres and the hundredth of a second over here mm. is different... I, I understand your point. I, that, I just means, think that, that means you, you're deciding what that is over there by not saying... So there will be a parameter that has, that has been set up within the VAR suite that goes, okay, well, this is the point where you know, maybe it's when the foot, when there is daylight between the ball and the foot, so when it leaves but the foot... But they can't measure that. The, but they can't the measure it. How do you know? Well, surely they can, or else they haven't set no, up... No, they, they can't. can't. This maybe is one of the things they're saying. They can't measure that. So, that so they is, don't know yet. This, so this is what I'm saying, is that this is my whole issue with... What do you mean they don't know yet? Because they, they can't measure to that... The, their system can't measure to that level of accuracy. Oh, well, throw it out the window then. You're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> Kill it. Yeah, so, so yeah. you know, and, and they show it with these lines on the team. And one of the things I've been annoyed about... Don't fly a plane was, if you don't know where the wings are. Yeah, well, some of the ex-referees <laughs> this week, and they, Chris Foy annoyed me when he was doing this on the show, they're all like, oh, VAR, bloody brilliant. You know, they love it. Yeah. And I mean... You know, there are aspects of it that are great, but my obviously my immediate reaction with anything new is scepticism. But <laughs> I I like to base it on facts too. And I one of anything in life, one of my most hated things is when somebody tells me something's right just because it is. And when you ask them, Oh, can you explain like Jesus? You know, can you explain what the <laughs> rationale is there? What you mean, you know, can you justify that argument? And they go, oh, no, it's just because that is what VAR is at the moment. They're just going, oh, no, VAR is the best. It's right. And I, they, 
when we look at it, it is not actually accurate to that level of detail. It has not been proven. And if that's the case, I do not think you should be allowing goals. And you've brought in other sports it's, it's as, interesting. Yeah, I, as I've examples. Not heard, I've not heard that argument, so I'm going to be very interested to see how that evolves. In cricket, we have the same scenario. Now, in cricket, we have had this technology for a while, and generally I think it's great. But they recognise that there is a level of uncertainty with the Hawkeye system to the point where in some instances we have umpires call because they're not confident. Now, to me, the Sterling one is a prime example of something that should be... Linesman's call. Linesman's call, umpire's call, or where we need to look at the offside rule and work out, well, actually, maybe how the offside rule is at the moment doesn't quite fit with our VAR technology. We need something slightly more coarse to enable us to to clearly make that decision. The argument would be that everything that includes a flight of the ball in cricket is 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 dynamic. The only the only binary choice is you know whether the foot is over the line, and that would never be umpire's call. It would never be the the foot is on. You would always go okay. Well, what is what is the no, umpire's call is on the it's on the ball tracking. That's right? what I mean, and that you would always say that that's the same as. A, a VAR decision that was whether it's the referee's call or not, but there are no. The only binary decision I can think in the review system in cricket is whether the foot's over the line. Apart from that, every, well, there's no. No, this binary. is whether the ball's going to hit the stumps or not. Yeah, but you know what I mean. The first thing they check is whether, whether as a bowler, yeah. whether your front foot is forward of the line, and that's the only binary choice. Everything else is dynamic. No, but the the ball tracking. There's... We're stopping VAR now. Sorry. There we yeah. go. Stop. And <laughs> we've, right. we've run out of time for doing transfer talk because we talked about VAR too much. So we can maybe bring up... But it's interesting. And I, it I, is interesting the, the, and it will the, come up a lot. I think the point you make as well, which I hadn't really thought about... <laughs> no, like no, we're like, finishing. The point yeah. you made, which, which I take on board as well, is that maybe... I think first, you know, if we just go snapshot week one, I actually think generally it was very good. Yeah. And you're right. Maybe we do actually need some time to work this out. And I think that one of those things needs to be uh, going back and looking at the rules and making sure they work yeah. with VAR. Agree. Um, anyone got any side stories? Yeah. Did you see all of the stuff with Kalasnich and, and Ozil this week? Oh yeah, the well, Klasnich got in a fight with a guy with a knife. Yeah, so but it, it's got further than that. So uh, Ozil's house or something? Ah, get, like it's he all got stalked. Off. So right, so so <coughs> what happened? If you didn't see the the footage over the summer, it's Klasnich and Ozil were driving in their car. Um, and I thought you were about to break into <laughs> they song. They were driving then. in <laughs> their car, and um, uh, some knife wielding. Hoodlums came up and tried to <laughs> try to nick Hoodlums. the car, and Ozil was just like a, a little meek princess, <laughs> and Kalasnich just like beat off to yeah. one of his own, leapt out of the car. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. just like he was the beast, and Ozil was the beauty, uh, <laughs> fighting off the wolves. Um, so it was, it was all over social media, right? Um, but then suddenly, before the Newcastle game, both Ozil and Kalasnich were left at home. They didn't travel as part of the the travelling squad. Yeah. And it came out that they were under 24-hour surveillance by the police, like 24-hour security. So what's happened? Or at least this is according to reports in England, and you know what the English press is like, but I'm going to regurgitate it. What's happened is that the, it was in North London, right? Yeah. So it, the people who, the knife-wielding hoodlums, were recognised as members of a gang that is not based in North London. So a North London gang, street gang, has 
basically put a, put a thing out on the streets. I don't know what I'm talking about, but a thing out on the streets <laughs> going, going, how dare you? We'll, we'll fuck you up. Yeah. And then they've come back and they've gone, we can do whatever we want. We'll get them. So, so now they're, so now they're a part of this gang, London gang war. It's like Big so, Tupac. But it's, it's <laughs> suddenly been taken seriously. So Kolasinic's wife has flown to Germany because she doesn't feel safe in her own house anymore. They're under 24 hour surveillance by the police. They're not training. They're Jesus. not at games because they've suddenly found themselves in the middle of a gang war. That's gross. Yeah. That's, and is there any like end to it? Like, is there any, is it still, well, they're just what, waiting? Watch, watch this space. I mean, Ozil's mates with Erdogan, isn't he? So maybe, maybe, the, maybe the Turkish army I would be army a bit worried about, yeah, Ozil's contacts. <laughs> Ozil's definitely staying at home playing a lot of Fortnite. Yeah, absolutely. He's loving it, isn't he? <laughs> he loves Fortnite. Like, he's as lazy as it comes, so he's having a blast. Yeah. Um, but really interesting it's to bizarre. see it unfold yeah. this week. Did um, you go, Roger. Oh, a quick side story. Yeah. I actually just stumbled across this yesterday. Um, our old mate, Frank DeBoer. Oh, having a mare Oh, dear. No, no, he's not. Now, him. this is what it, he is still at Atlanta, and they are second in the Eastern oh. Conference. Now, admittedly, I was like, wow, this, this, is, this is news. What, what is going on? I thought he would have left a long time ago. Not only is he doing there, they're doing well. But then I looked, and they've still they've played 25, and they've won 13 games and lost nine. Yeah. So it's not actually that brilliant, yeah. even though they're in second. It just seems to be quite an even league. But he's still there. He's back. Who he, knew? Uh, Maybe he, we misjudged him. He no. pressed the self-destruction button today. Did you see the news reports today? For those listening in America, I'm sorry if I if I um, state this incorrectly, but he came out in the press say so. There's a there's a big um, push for equal pay in the United States yeah. for for footballers because the women's national team has been essentially more successful Smashing than the male's national team. Yeah. They've yeah, they've been better than the male national team for as long as they've been in existence. They've got great sponsorship deals. There's a big push for equal pay. Bloody Frank DeBoer comes out and goes, I think equal pay is ridiculous. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so he'll I'm be out of a job next week. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, good on you, Frank. <laughs> He's just ruined it all. Um, we did have a size story from Phil on Facebook. And if anyone else at home has size stories that they want to pass <coughs> on, do just find us on Facebook. <clears throat> but Phil brought to our attention, uh, do you remember Julian Joachim? Do. Yeah, I do. And I've yeah. actually seen this one. So. And he's uh, he's come out of retirement at 44 years old to join Europa Point FC in Gibraltar because um, he's he's also started a new app called Player Trader, which is for guys that have played in um, academies and then kind of get dropped out of the academy system at 16, 17, 18. And you can go on the app and then they'll find you trials. And one of the places is Gibraltar. So this is the top league in Gibraltar. And so he's going as a player coach, but also bringing over a few of his players from his app. So wow, uh, I wonder if he's still back. quite fast. When, he's got to remember be. those Villa days? He was yeah. actually like one thing he had was pace. It was like on Champ Man, he'd be like pace twenty, finishing three. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do anything. Do you think he'll get a game? I think so. Yeah, I think he's probably playing. Like he'll get a goal. Or on two. the same uh, side story, did you see Jason Punchin's gone to um, Cyprus. Cyprus? Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Wow. Yeah. Um, my other favourite side story of the week was the Mo Salah fan. Did you hear about this? Yes. Go on. So the, Mo, the, the oh, young kids. Well, the kid who ran into the... Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, I did see this. So Mo Salah, everyone's... Liver, if you're a Liverpool fan... Everyone's favourite scouser. Yeah. yeah. 
And this kid was so excited to see him, he chased him down the street trying to get his autograph and ran into a lamppost, which is just brilliant. But the best part about this story, though, is that Salah then turned around, Stops, came back, and, and chased... made sure the kid was okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. that is... What a gent. Super awkward photo, though. If, look, if you've not seen it, look it up. It's like <laughs> this kid in a Liverpool shirt with blood all over his face. Most Salah standing there with his arm around him looking super awkward. Happiest like... day of his life, the kid. Yeah. Um, any more side stories? No, 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 no. Now, before we finish, end season, end season, last season, we would always have the end feature, and uh, Jeff would play a little tune on his guitar, and we would put a bet out for the week. But we've stopped doing the end feature this week because, or this season, because it's not good to encourage betting. I think I was waiting for him to do like his end feature noise, then, but then I realised it was Nations League, not end feature. The nation, the Nations <laughs> League, That's a different, different yeah. theme tune. Different theme tune. That'll be back later in the season. So we're not going to do <laughs> end Look feature this year. One. But what we are going to do this year is the knee jerk reaction of the week. So based on whatever's happened this week, all of us will come up with a knee jerk reaction that we think is now going to happen because of something that happened this week. And then we'll collate them all and uh, see how wrong we were at the end of the season. Okay, my knee-jerk reaction this week. Yeah. Raheem Sterling, 40 goals. Wow, okay. Mine is uh, Graham Potter to be the next England manager. Sorry, what? What? Yeah. Okay. I, I quite like yours. Mine's just all about me. I've just... May, may as well <laughs> stop now because the top four predictions are set and I'm going to win. <laughs> oh, what are your top four predictions? Uh, Man City, Liverpool, Spurs, Man United. No, yeah. what, is that the top four right? Oh no, Brighton are in no, there. No, no, with the next. Not, England, I just yeah. the top four right now has the next England manager. That's, it's in. a knee jerk, John. That's the point. <laughs> but I just went all like blowing my own trumpet, whereas you two actually like had thought put thought into it. Um, does anyone have anything before we go? No, it's been great to be back. It, yeah, in really good to sheds. be back in the shed for proper. Yes, we will be back next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, don't forget, if you want to get in contact, um, ask us a question, or you have a side story you want to share. Um, find us on Facebook or shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yay. Bye. What was that noise? <laughs> it was kind of a nerd. <laughs>